Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story. I'll also be your narrator. A Cry in the Moon's Light is an action-adventure drama told in 15 episodes. A limited series podcast or audio story. It's the tale of a beautiful young woman who must travel across the country through a dark forest. Our setting is the late 1700s of Eastern Europe. It is a time of horse-driven carriages, muskets, castles, and when the moon is full, hideous creatures of the night. Short on time, the young lady must hurry through the wild country to be at the side of her dying grandmother. But a mysterious creature stalks her every move, and a deadly wolf pack seems determined to kill her. Armed with only her wits and a brave young carriage driver to protect her, she faces the challenges of a long and perilous journey through a dark land. But when two gruesome murders occur in the small town of Marcel, she and her carriage driver make the fateful decision to flee to the safety of a nearby castle. A castle that holds its own secrets. And what happens along the way is the true beginning of our story. Solve the mystery of the wolf. Learn the secret of silver. And discover a world of intrigue adventure, horror, romance, and love. Join me as we unravel the mystery that is A Cry in the Moon's Light. In this first chapter, we join a carriage driver who is hired to take a beautiful young woman to visit a sick relative. Because the trip is urgent, they decide to travel a dangerous road straight through a large forest. Along the way, an encounter with a strange wolf appears to be a dark omen, setting the tone for the entire journey. Let's begin our story as we wait with the carriage driver outside an opulent mansion for the beautiful young woman on a cold and moonlit night. Welcome to Chapter 1, The Long Cold Ride. The night air was cold and crisp. I lifted my black tricorn hat to put on my earmuffs. My breath could be seen in the moonlight. The sky was clear and filled with a million stars. There was a frost on the flowers that surrounded the house. Beautiful colors of red, purple, and yellow, dulled by the frozen droplets. The horses seemed cold. They were fidgety as they stamped their feet on the cobblestones. The impact of their hooves echoed in the night. The cold air made the sound carry. While I waited, I walked over to the team to check their harnesses. I had cleaned them the night before. A polish on the buckles and a nice oil on the leather. The moon and stars made it all shine. The carriage was new. 
black finish that had a mirror-like reflection. Glass panels on all the doors and a big window to the rear. I wanted them spotless for this trip, so I had cleaned them too. There were four lamps on each corner of the carriage. Candles burning inside the housings to provide enough light so we could travel at night. Not many carriages had these luxuries. This was meant for wealthy aristocrats who could afford it. The full moon had been steadily rising in the night sky. The forest ahead was dark. But the moon's rays would peek through the trees so we could see the road once we started traveling. And that, along with the carriage lamps, would be enough to guide us. As I looked beyond the driveway and down the road, I spotted two blue dots glowing in the darkness. What the hell were those, I thought. They were a bit faint, but definitely there. And then, suddenly, I couldn't see them anymore. They disappeared right in front of me. I rubbed my eyes and squinted to get a better look, but they were gone. I must be seeing things, I thought. Couldn't be an animal. Their eyes are yellow or brown or black. Anything evil would surely be red. What the hell were blue? Road agents? Highwaymen? They wouldn't be so close to the house. They're much better places for an ambush along the road. A loud clanging of bolts at the manor drew my attention. As I turned my head toward the sound, I could see the wooden doors opening. Just a crack of light from inside spilled onto the wide stone steps. The door was only open a sliver. A figure walked through, stepping outside. It was the shape of a woman, hidden under a long cape. There was a man standing inside the entrance. She turned back and leaned in to kiss his cheek. He must have been the husband. I heard her tell him goodbye and not to worry. She would send word once she arrived. She made her way down the long steps as her cape flowed behind her. It was crimson with a white fur lining. From this distance and with the hood up, it was hard to get a good look at her. As she approached the carriage, I moved to the door and opened it. She reached out with a white gloved hand for me to help her get inside. Good evening, my lady. I said, bowing slightly before taking her hand. She nodded shyly and smiled. Once she was up close, I could see how lovely she was. It was hard not to stare. Her hair was auburn and it cascaded around her face under the hood. The smallness of her features and her shy smile would melt any man's heart. But there was something else about her. She had one of those intangible qualities that drive men crazy. Everything was elegant. The way she dressed, the way she moved, the way she carried herself. Even the perfume she wore, not too overbearing, but just enough. The aroma stayed with you, pleasing and sweet. If you smelled it again, you would recognize it was her. She thanked me as she handed me her bag. I shut the door and latched it carefully. Climbing up on the sidestep, I placed her bag on the carriage rack above. Once it was secure, 
and went to the front and stepped into the driver's seat. Grabbing the reins, I gave a quick snap for the team to come to attention. Second snap, and we began to trot off, making our way down the driveway and onto the road that split into the dark forest. The horses had been anxious to get going. Standing around in the cold didn't fit their spirit. The team moved along nicely down the moonlit road, and just as I had thought, there was enough light from the moon in our carriage lamps to see the road ahead. As we made our way, I turned to look back at the mansion. The glow from the windows and the outside torches began to fade little by little until they were gone. It was certainly chilly tonight, and it got colder as we moved along. The temperature had dropped quite a bit since I arrived to pick her up. The wind was freezing my nose, so I pulled up my neck scarf to cover my face. I was glad I had taken the time to put on my earmuffs. My fare would be warm inside without the cold wind hitting her face. These enclosed coaches with the glass windows made for a very comfortable ride. At least, that's what I've been told anyway. The inside was lined with a lush red velour. There was gold trim and handles of shiny solid brass. The seats had extra cushioning, which made them nice and soft. This was a lot more comfortable than the hard wooded bench I was sitting on. Oh, I had a driver's pad, but it wasn't anything like the seats inside. I couldn't imagine how nice that must be. The company spared no expense to make their clients feel right at home. My family was poor, so this was as close as I was going to come to riding in one. But I'm not complaining. If it weren't for this job, I would never get to see the country. When I was little, I would dream about faraway places and countless adventures. Visiting the backcountry and exploring our land wasn't something my family could afford. Now I was getting paid to travel. Sort of, anyway. I had been dispatched to take this lady to the city of Trevor Doe, on the easternmost border of the country. Something about a sick relative she was going to visit. It was quite a distance from the mansion and would be a long journey. It was urgent that she arrived as quickly as possible. My company told me to use the quickest route. Because of this, I planned to take her straight through the middle of the large forest. There was a road to the north that went around the forest, but it added extra days to the trip. The most direct route was right through the middle. The forest road wasn't well kept and a lot riskier than the road to the north. There were only a couple of stops along the way. The first was the small town of Marcel. This was about midway through the forest and a little less than halfway to our destination. I made reservations at the inn in town as it was a long way from Marcel to Trevor Doe. The horses could rest there too. I would be running them hard from the mansion to Marcel. There weren't any places to stay before the town. After Marcel, there was only the small seaport town of Port Calibre, and that could be rough. So Marcel would be a good place for the horses to get some straw and oats, as I had planned to go straight from there to Trevor Doe. Marcel didn't look like much on the map. My boss said there were a few houses, some stables and a small inn with a pub. And there were a few merchants, but not much else. There really wasn't a lot of traffic on this road. Everyone used the great road to the north instead. Unlike the driveway of her mansion, none of the roads in Marcel would be stoned. 
They were dirt and full of ruts of mud and muck. Sometimes the merchants or suppliers would stop and make repairs, but for the most part, it was rough. The village didn't have any defenses either. The town folk had a limited number of things to protect themselves. The only weapons the villagers had were used for hunting or emergencies. This was in the middle of a forest and was more of a way station for travelers who were brave enough to come through. It was deep in the wild country and had a reputation of being a hangout for the wrong kind, but for the most part it was thought of as quiet. It was considered a good place to stay over for food and rest. My boss said there was virtually no type of authority there. It was an informal town, not really recognized by anyone. They had a bunch of elders, but there was no constable or lawman. Nobody there was rich, and everybody wanted the goods and services to be available, so even the criminals kept crime to a minimum in the town. The lack of a lawman could be an issue. I would be solely responsible for the safety of my fare. I needed to keep a watchful eye and make sure to depart at the first sign of trouble. I hoped she wouldn't mind the layover in Marcel. She was in a hurry to get to the city, but the horses would need fed and we would need some rest as the next part of the journey would be a long one without any stops. She didn't seem like the snobby type, but I doubted she was used to hanging around playing townsfolk either. I'm sure her days and nights were filled with fancy dinner parties and dances, not dusky pubs and rundown inns. She would be a viable target for any road agents or highwaymen, especially if they were lurking about looking for an easy mark. Her beautiful cape and expensive perfume gave her away. She came for money. She may not have had any on this trip, but she definitely came from it. I figured nobody would know we were coming, but if they spotted us, or more accurately, spotted her, we would need to leave Marcel and go straight to Trevor Doe without stopping. As we continued, darkness consumed both sides of the road. Less of the moonlight was getting through the canopy. Now, only the lamps of the carriage provided any real guidance. My mind had been wandering, which seemed to pass the time. As I looked around, another flash of blue off in the distance caught my eye. It looked like the same blue dots I had noticed earlier back at the mansion. An uneasy feeling started to creep its way into my mind. We had traveled quite away from the mansion. Those two blue dots that were lurking in the dark had stayed with us. I didn't know who or what it was, and that was starting to worry me. From my company stables to her house was a very long ride. I had been waiting outside for nearly an hour before she came out. I hadn't eaten dinner yet, so now I was hungry and cold. And that alone made me edgy. I didn't need those blue eyes making it worse. The horses were moving a little faster than before. Their pace had quickened over the last couple of miles. As they ran through some large puddles, water and mud splashed high in the air. When we left the mansion, I started them out just under a trot. It was a considerable distance to Marcel, and I didn't want to tire them too quickly. Plus, I wanted the ride to be comfortable for my fare as well as myself. The faster they went, the more bumps we would feel along the way. Their nostrils were flaring as we moved along at this pace. 
Their massive lungs took in large amounts of air they exhaled in powerful breaths. It was like they sensed something dangerous nearby, as if they wanted to get out of the forest as quickly as possible. I slid over to the edge of my seat to look down into the coach. A lady was sitting next to the window. She pulled back the curtain and was watching intently, her eyes taking in everything, including the full moon as it peeked its way through the canopy. She appeared to be content, not showing any signs of discomfort from our quickened pace. The carriage suspension kept her from bouncing around. It was also fairly warm inside there. The roughness of the road started to smooth as we turned. Up ahead, the trees were starting to thin. More of the moonlight was coming through now. I could see some open fields with tall grasses. I was glad to make it through this part of the forest and into the field. I imagined it would be dark and rough country the rest of the way. According to the map, there were only a couple of open areas like this one. I had never been in this part of the country before. It was all new to me. The map I used to plot our course didn't show much. There was the immense forest in the town of Marcel, a few open areas, but mostly all forest until Port Calibre. I came through the trees onto brown grass fields on either side. With the moon's light, I could see wildflowers scattered throughout. There wasn't as much frost here as back at the mansion, so their colors weren't muted. The flowers here were smaller, but the reds, purples, and yellows seemed more vibrant. It really made them stand out against the grasses of the fields, and with the dark forest behind all of that, they stood out even more. The horses began to slow down to a normal trot. We were coming up to a small stream that made its way through the fields and across the road. This would be a good place to take a break. The horses could use a drink and short breather. The little creek was also far enough away from the edge of the forest that I would be able to see anything coming out of the woods. This made me a little more comfortable about stopping. At least nothing could sneak up on us. As we approached the stream, I pulled up on the reins to slow us down. The team came to a stop and I locked the brakes so I could jump down. I need to water the horses, mademoiselle, with your permission, of course. Again, she didn't speak. She nodded shyly and smiled. I returned the smile and reached up to unlock the brake as I had just said it. I would have to roll the team forward for each horse to drink. The lead horse was Arca. He was in the left front position, a magnificent black stallion with a white patch above his left eye. That birthmark made him flawed for the show ring, but that was the only flaw he had. He was muscular and strong, with powerful lungs and a gait that rivaled the best show horses. He was a born leader who seemingly enjoyed running at night. He was smart and liked being out front. It was as if he had an endless supply of stamina because he never seemed to tire. Beside him was Killian, another black stallion who was almost as big, but quite a few years younger. He was more aggressive than Arca. Killian was full of spirit. Like Arca, his stamina seemed boundless too. He was a bit impulsive and hard-headed. It would be a few more years before he could lead. They worked together, and this kept everything running smoothly. I grabbed Arca's halter and led the team forward so he and Killian could drink. He was thirsty and quickly gulped in fresh water. Killian waited, keeping a watchful eye on the road while Arca drank. 
When Arca was finished and lifted his head, Killian lowered his head to take in the water. Arca now kept watch on the road. This was normal for them, as they often took turns watching out for the team. But something was different tonight. As the horses drank, the lady stepped out of the coach. Once she cleared the carriage, Killian finished drinking. So I pulled the team forward for the second row horses to drink. Once they were in position, I went back to the coach and locked the brake again. I didn't want them getting spooked and running off with the carriage. The second row was young and not as experienced. Even with Arca and Killian in front, if they got frightened enough, the whole team might take off. While they were drinking, I watched my lady stroll into the field. She moved through the grasses, gently running her fingers across the top. Her long red cape flowing behind her as she moved. Every now and then, she would bend down, reach out with a soft hand and pull a flower close so she could smell it. As she was enjoying the scent of the wildflowers, Arca became agitated. He began to stomp his feet and bob his head. Killian and the other horses picked up on this and began getting restless too. They rocked back and forth, but the carriage brake held them in place. And then I felt the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. Goosebumps formed on my arms. There was an intense feeling of uneasiness that came over me. Arca turned his head all the way around to look beyond me at the forest. The horses fidgeting became worse. They all began to stomp their feet and let out puffs of air. Killian gave off a loud whinny that pierced the quiet. He couldn't see as clearly down the road as Arca, and that made him more nervous. He also couldn't move as the carriage was locked in place. Milady turned her head sharply to look back down the road toward the forest. As she did, my eyes came up to look in the same direction. We both saw it at the same time. Standing in the center of the road at the edge of the forest was a large wolf. His fur was some type of brown, and this made him hard to see with the dark forest behind him. On his legs and chest, there were these strange markings, ribbons or stripes weaving in and out of each other. The moon's light seemed to make them glow this odd blue color, and although the lines were jagged, they reminded me of the thatch of a roof. Then I noticed his eyes. They were a bright blue the same blue I had seen back at the mansion and then later on the road. Those blue eyes belonged to him and he had been following us. He was just standing there in the middle of the road, staring at us. It was like he wanted us to see him. He didn't appear aggressive nor did he seem afraid. When I realized this wolf had been following us, the uneasy feeling I had turned to fear. As that feeling ran through me, I noticed something else that made it worse. He wasn't paying any attention to me or the horses. He was staring at her. His eyes were transfixed on my lady. He hadn't moved since he saw her. She noticed it too and remained in place, perfectly still. She had walked far enough away from the coach that he might have been able to catch her. The three of us stood there staring for what seemed like an eternity. The wolf remained motionless until a slight snarl took shape. That snarl revealed his large white teeth. 
A long tongue slipped from the side of his mouth and ran over his lips before drawing back in. Gathering myself from this hypnotic trance, I ran to my seat. Tucked behind it was my musket. Standing on the edge of the carriage, I pulled the weapon to my shoulder, cocked the hammer, and was lining the wolf in my sights. Closing my right eye as I began to focus my left down the barrel, when my left eye came into focus, there was nothing there. Instantly, I opened my eyes to get a better look. The wolf was nowhere in sight. He had completely vanished. There one moment and gone the next. My eyes scanned the tree line from left to right, but there was nothing, and the road was completely clear. I stepped up further on the carriage next to the seat to get a better look. From this position, I could see across the field. There was no movement, nothing. He must have run off, back into the darkness of the forest. While he wasn't around, I wanted to get out of there before he decided to come back. I hopped down and ran over to my lady in the field. Come on, my lady, we need to keep moving. She picked up her cape and we rushed back to the carriage. After she was safely back inside, I started to shut the door when she spoke. She told me she didn't think we were in any danger. She said she couldn't explain how or why she felt that way. I looked at her questioningly. She looked out the back window where we last saw the wolf. Far away look in her eye. I heard her say softly that she couldn't explain why she felt that way. I finished closing the door and made sure the latch was secure. Without any hesitation, I hustled back up to the driver's seat and set my musket beside me. Taking one last look around as I released the brake, the wolf was still gone, nowhere in sight. I grabbed the reins and gave a hearty snap. Arca's head had turned forward before he heard the crack. Without any delay, he began pulling the team forward across the creek. Killian and the others pulled in unison. The carriage rolled with ease as the horses kept increasing their speed. It wasn't long before we were back on that hurried pace we took getting here. They wanted out of this place as fast as they could. Thinking about her comments, I wasn't sure why the lady felt we weren't in any danger. When she was standing in the field, the wolf's gaze paralyzed her with fear. That's what wolves do. They use a hard eye to stare their prey into standing in one spot, and when the moment is right, they strike. He was staring intently at her as if she were lunch. When his mouth opened to show those big white fangs, I was sure he was going to make a move. Maybe he didn't think he could catch her before she made it back to the coach. I thought we were lucky to have gotten out of there. The sooner we got to Marcel, the better. I doubted he would bother us in town. Wolves generally avoid people. They like to attack when you are isolated. Alone on a desolate road is one thing. A village full of people? That's something else. The team made its way through the field of ease. I let them continue to build up their speed as we made our way through the darkened forest. As we rolled along, I kept a watchful eye to our sides and my musket at the ready. Nothing was going to catch me flat-footed again. In the next chapter, our carriage arrives in the village of Mercel. Here, we encounter new characters like townsfolk. Hidden among them, our road agents, highwaymen, and mercenaries known as the Hessians. We also encounter a strange man with mysterious blue eyes eerily similar to the wolf. 
and appears to have a connection to Milady. I hope you'll join me again next time for Chapter 2. Meet me at the Tavern in Mercel. I'm your host, Alan McGill. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and click the like button, as well as leaving a review in the comments section. By doing this, it helps promote the show so we can gain more support. You can also show your support by going to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. It's a good way to support authors and artists like myself. You can even download the Buy Me a Cup of Coffee app to make your contributions even easier. When you buy me a cup of coffee, you're not just supporting me, but you're supporting the show. And while I am the narrator, sole producer, and performer, that cup of coffee helps me purchase the sound effects, artist illustrations, and original music written and performed by Joseph McDade. Go to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Before I sign off, I want to take a moment and acknowledge some great supporters of the show, like Joseph McDade, who provides original music to shows like this. You can find Joe at josephmcdade.com. Todd Yuri of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, who provided a quiet place to record the narrations for this show, and is always a supporter of the arts. Visit Todd at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I want to thank the Writing Community Chat Show for their support of the show. The Writing Community Chat Show is a podcast that supports authors whenever they can, and they always have fascinating guests and interesting topics. I also want to take a moment and thank NJM Hemphrey for his support of the show. He has a new book out called Hacks Fury. If you want to take a hell-driven ride into a nightmarish realm, Hacks Fury is a cosmic grimdark horror set in a land ravaged by plague and religious hysteria. A tortured lord with a violent alter ego fights to save his home from an apocalypse. Hacks Fury is available in print and Kindle on Amazon. And lastly, I want to thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you join me again for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.